Red Cube listeners, delighted to welcome you all to our latest episode of the Red Cube podcast and uh, delighted to introduce uh, our guest today, the head of HR, David Nally from Woody's. David, you're very welcome. Thanks, William. Great to be here. How's life, David? Yeah, it's good. It's uh, busy. Um, even though the year is heading to a close, it still feels like there's lots to be done. There's always lots to be done. I was going to say fortunately or unfortunately, not sure, right? But there's always lots to be done. David, for our listeners, you might take them through your career history, your role, and, and up to your role at the moment. Yeah, perfect. And so as you mentioned, I'm head of HR here at Woody's. I initially joined the business back in 2015 as internal communications manager. So this is my sixth role within the business in in those couple of years. Um, I currently lead the team that supports our 1,500 colleagues and managers from recruitment through to retirement. Um, Prior to this role, I was previously HR manager at Woody's um, and spent a number of years prior to that as head of engagement, leading the team that looked after L&D, internal comms and employee experience. Um, Previously to Woody's, my background is slightly different. So it's retail operations. Um, So I led the central operations team at 3Ireland. And previous to that, I was an area manager and a store manager. So David, interesting there, movement from retail operations into HR people and culture. What What was your thinking there? Yeah, it was initially chance and fate, um, I guess, lined up. Um, so the role at Woody's became available. I, I went for it um, and then um, haven't had the foot in the door through internal communications. I decided to go back to college, study in the evenings and um, carve out a career path, uh, which Woody's has been very supportive of. Very good, David. And, and I know you said six, sort of six roles since you joined in 2015. So, so we know from our work with Woody's, right? And Woody's have been on the Great Place to Work program now for a number of years. When it comes to people and culture, there is so much we could talk about, right? We see Woody's as a organization that's always listening to their people, always improving. But for today, today, David, I think we'll focus in on the area of diversity and inclusion, um, if that's okay. So, yeah. so from a Woody's point of view, diversity and inclusion, David, um, I suppose what's 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 the thinking from a Woody's point of view? What's the approach? Um, we've been focused on it for a number of years now. So I'd say we really got serious about DI back in 2018. Um, I suppose up to that point, our focus was on the general culture and the general colleague experience of what it was like to work for the business. Um, once we started to get into a space where we were happy on that journey, then we started to look at the demographic of the workforce and where we needed to improve. Um, so I would say we're we're hugely um, supportive of the DNI agenda. Um, from the top down, um, we invest in it both in terms of time, time resource, and financial resource, um, and we have some clearly set out goals that we're constantly reviewing how we're stacking up against that. So, DNI is quite important for us. It, we've kind of pulled it back to we need to be representative of modern Ireland and our workforce needs to be representative of modern Ireland and um, so that we're resonating with the customer base. Brilliant, David. So uh, I like that positioning almost representative of of, of modern Ireland. And, and how, how, how do things look currently then in terms of woodies, in terms of demographics and, and, and things like that? 
Yeah, we've made really good strides in some areas. So I think we're quite similar to some other businesses in terms of the challenges that we're facing around representation of different groups. Um, But if I look at us as a business, we're gender balanced at a company level. Now that depends on the day you pull it. Sometimes we're male-led, sometimes we're female-led, but you brought you know over the last 12 months, we're certainly gender balanced at a company level. We're gender balanced at the leadership team level and at two other levels within our structure. And um, so there's a bit of work to be done on gender representation um, w- within two levels of our structure. But as a whole, we're pretty much there. Um, We're representative of national demographics on ethnicity, on age, on sexual orientation. Um, And then there's a bit of work to be done on kind of, um, I guess, less traditional religions within Ireland and um, having those, those colleagues represented in our workforce. Um, and then also one of the big things I'm picking up when I'm chatting to anyone in the HR community is disability representation. So we've started to look at how we get better at that. Um, we have done well. We have twice as many disabled colleagues working for us today as we did back in 2019. Um, but it's still not tallying with the census data. Now, there's some challenges that we've identified there. We, we track all our diversity data. We encourage our people to fulfill it. Um, what we've noticed is there's a disproportionate amount of our workforce that decide not to fill in the their disability status. So that tells us we probably have a higher amount of people, whether it's a hidden or a visible disability, um, that just don't want to tell us about it. And we need to do a bit of work on that piece. But then equally, I think we need to find the right partnership model so that we're bringing people in that do come from a disability background and that are supported in the right way as they enter our workforce. So strong data, data led, David. I mean, we can see look through the diversity and inclusion area within the Great Place to Work survey, like uh, you know how strong you are in this area. So, could you give us a sense, David, of I suppose some of the what you know, some of the some of the specific things that you've done or tried within Woody's in terms of this diversity and inclusion piece? Taking a step back, we've understood where we are as a business. Um, and we did that really kind of in, in 2018. Then we looked outside of ourselves to see what does society look like. And you know, that's the goal ultimately to be representative of society and to be representative of, of the demographics of modern Ireland. And then having those two pieces of insight, we started to look at how do we get there and you know, how do we take a measured approach? You, you can't eat the elephant all at once. So it has to be bite-sized chunks. So the first thing we did was to educate the business. So from a leadership team level through to a senior management level and right across the business, why we wanted to focus on this area. Um, we had to refine our messaging, our storytelling. Um, when you start to tell 1,500 people that you want to become more diverse, you start to other people. So people think when you're talking about diversity, they're obviously not talking about white males or they're not talking about straight males or you know, <laughs> whatever the view is on that. Um, so we had to be clear, we want to be representative of, of, the, of the population in general. And that includes people from all walks of life and all backgrounds. Um, and then once we set the scene on that, we said, how do we practically make this happen? So we don't want to be a business that just talks about diversity and inclusion. We want to be a business that actually makes it happen. Um, so the first thing we did was to say, do we have the policies and the procedures and the structures and benefits in place that would facilitate this? 
Um, so things like do we have gender gender recognition or gender identity policies and we didn't so the first time we celebrated pride um, we said this is a celebration of pride obviously and um, we took a colleague-led approach on it but then practically we used that as an opportunity to introduce different DNI policies and then once we had the basics and the foundations in place then we said we need to start investing in this and we start we need to start doing a meaningful um approach to it and for that we um, then invested in conscious inclusion training for every people leader within the business and we rolled out um, e-learnings for colleagues across the business as well on dni and what it means and and what it means for our colleagues um, on, on on the customer facing front and then as you mentioned, as you've alluded to, we started to look at data. So we started to slice our people data with the DNI slant on it. So we started to look at things like our Great Place to Work survey and adding in measurements around DNI and how how engaged and connected people feel with the organization, regardless of what walk of life they're coming from. And then we start that data analysis looking at looking across the employee life cycle led us to invest in how we recruit people into the business so we completely swapped our recruitment model in 2020 and um, historically it was very light touch from a hr perspective and um, our role in recruiting people into the business was to post job advertisements on job boards and to send the CVs unscreened to our 35 store managers around the country and to our managers in the office and then just step back essentially and let them manage the selection process. Um, in 2020, we decided that we needed to change for a number of reasons. So firstly, the scale of the business, the volume of recruitment that was happening, um, it was a draw on the resources of our management population. So we needed to ease that pressure, first of all, uh, particularly throughout COVID when our business was extremely busy. Um, but equally, we saw opportunities in how do we remove the potential for bias within the process. And with the best will in the world, we're all human, no matter how well we're trained or what policies we have in place, there's a potential for bias to creep in. So there's a responsibility on businesses to put the structures and the investments in place to offset that um, and to level the playing field for as, for as many people as possible. Um, so we centralised recruitment into the HR team. We restructured the team um, and we brought talent to acquisition in-house, essentially. Um, we introduced artificial intelligence uh, screening. So all first-round interviews for all entry-level colleague roles into our business are now completed by an AI recruitment tool called Sapia. And what Sapia does is it ignores all your personal factors around your background, you know, who you love, where you came from, what the colour of your skin is. And it looks at the answers that you're giving. And it also gives you an interview. It guarantees everyone uh, an interview once they hit apply. Um, it looks at your questions and it links them back to our behavioural values, our brand values and, and, and our competency framework. And it's looking to see, are you the right fit for this business? And are you able to do the role? And that's all it's interested in. And then it gives you feedback as well. So every candidate that applies for the colleague, store colleague roles in our business gets a two or three page interview feedback pack on how their answers stacked up and where their opportunities for improvement are. And then for more senior roles, we introduce psychometric profiling and job match profiling. 
And then what that does is once you introduce a human into the process to look at the selection um, criteria, it gives a measurable set of results. So you're able to look at every candidate in the pool and how they've scored in the interview process or how they've scored in the job match process. And that gives you an ability to question if those top scoring candidates aren't making it through the process what's what's changing it um, also the tool um is able to identify with pretty much 99% accuracy the makeup of our applicant pools so we're able to track through the recruitment funnel the makeup of our applicant pool and um, who the system recommends that we should consider hiring for the job and who we ultimately hire when the when the human recruiters um, and hiring managers step in so if there's any disparity, we're able to question that in real time. We're able to challenge. We're able to understand if it's right. Um, and equally, we're able to understand if, if we think there's an issue that needs to be dealt with. Well, David, there's so much in that. And um, maybe just to pick into a couple of those areas. So the Sapien tool, um, in terms of it being able to uh, give you numbers and stats around the applicant pools from from the different diversities um, and yeah. could you give us an example in terms of um data coming back where maybe you wanted more applicants from that particular pool and, and kind of how you reacted to that information yeah i suppose in in the early days it was interesting um to see the makeup of, of people that were applying to the business and um, because we'd never had insight of that and then um, in 2021, we, we looked and said, how do we slightly change this? Uh, there was nothing majorly wrong with the applicant pool, but it just wasn't striking the right balance when we looked at the census data. Uh, so one of the things we did then was to work with the marketing and digital team um, and very much um, update the employer brand. So to make it more representative of the type of applicants that we wanted to see. Um, so to have a, an employer brand imagery um, set that was gender diverse, that was ethnically diverse, um, and and um, kind of resonated with 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 the type of applicants that we wanted to see more of. Um, and then we worked very much with um, our partners in the likes of Indeed, um, with our external recruitment partners, um, but also with our own internal digital team on how we place that employer brand out into the market. And we did things like geo-targeted campaigns. We did things like employer geofencing. So we, we targeted very specific areas with the imagery and with the job adverts. Um, and then as well, we, we invested in an augmented writing tool called Textio. And we rewrote all of our job adverts to strip out any language that was unconsciously biased, that was swaying the, swaying certain types of applicants to apply for the job over others. Well, David, that's that's really interesting. One of the things we saw as well was um, this practice around was it aliens and astronauts, David? It was called. Yes, uh, we did that. That was part of the setting the scene yeah. um, for DNI at Woody's. So, if I remember right, it was actually it was around uh, 2018, 2019 at our annual management conference. So we bring about 120 of our people leaders away at the start of the year to just advise them on the strategy, help them understand what each of the functions within the business, um, have as priorities for the year ahead, 
and there's obviously a bit of networking and, and a bit of fun in there. Um, and with that kind of networking fun and um, piece and then linking it back to the HR strategy at the time, we worked with, with a company called Business Games and they created a, an engagement activity for us called Aliens and Astronauts. So some of the participants were dressed up as aliens, some were dressed up as astronauts. And there were rules around what you couldn't couldn't ask and how you would identify people's backgrounds or their cultural nuances or things that might offend them um, if you weren't aware of them. So how you would tease all of that out without explicitly being able to ask a, a direct question around you, what's your religion or what's the prep you know, what's your preferences or, or whatever it was. And it helped people understand then that these things that we do and um, that we may never think of that cause offense to other people with the best word in the world or with the best of intention and taught people how to be mindful of those and how to think about those different um, nuances of life and, and how you might go about understanding if you were doing something that could cause offense without the need to directly you know, engage or ask somebody um, and put them in an uncomfortable position. So the use of almost gamification, David, well, live gamification, if you like, just to kind of explore the topic and educate leaders. Exactly. In, in a fun way, there's de-risked it. So what I found as part of our storytelling, um, early on, we didn't get it right. So when you're standing in front of a group of people, whatever the business or whatever the environment is, and you're saying things like we need to uh, focus on um, unconscious bias training. You, what you're essentially saying there is we think you're biased. Um, and was, it's in all of us. You have to think about how that resonates. So if you're saying we're doing, a, we're doing unconscious bias training, that's because we think you need to improve it. If you flip that and start talking about conscious inclusion, it's a very different conversation that you're having with people. Having with people, you're saying you want everybody to feel included, and then you look at how do you introduce the ways of doing that. So the gamification of business games is a really safe way of helping people understand things they could be doing that could be causing offence to other people. And sometimes, David, like I know we all talk about when we talk about the area we 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 always use the language of diversity and inclusion right we we put them together right but but what we can see is is in, in the work we do right that the organization might be diverse and um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're doing inclusion well um what what's your thoughts on that or what's what's Woody's approach around ensuring we're diverse but also that we're doing inclusion well yeah, it's, it's a really good point, Carl. Um, it's one of the things that drove us to look at the people data and to look at how different colleagues um, were feeling about the business, whether that's through the employee engagement survey or whether that's through the recruitment process or whether it's through the, the types of cohorts that are leading the business. Um, and I guess our first point in that was to layer on diversity data as an option onto the Great Place to Work survey. So we were able to very quickly and thankfully identify that regardless of personal background, you know, people tend to feel the same about, about the, about the experience of the business. So we looked and went, are we comfortable that across the employee life cycle and, and across different walks of life, 
that people are getting the same positive experience of the, of the business. Um, and then we started to look at that more closely as we became more diverse. So when we flipped the recruitment process, we jumped leaps and bounds in terms of, of the diversity of our workforce very quickly. So one thing that I suppose w- was there potentially unconsciously in the minds of people was, are we going to flip the culture of the business? Are we going to fundamentally change the fabric of what the culture of Woody's is if we become drastically more diverse than we were at that point in time? Um, and then from a HR perspective, we were looking going, if we introduce all this diversity very quickly, um, is that going to cause tensions in the workforce? Is it going to cause us EOR issues um, that we maybe didn't have with a slightly less diverse workforce? And that became really central to us looking at that kind of those employee experience scores and the attrition rates. Um, and thankfully, it's been consistent for the last few years that there's, uh, the more diverse we've become, we've also become slightly more inclusive in those measurements that we have. Um, so thankfully, it, it's not been an issue, but it was one that was sent in front of mind for a period of time. At the very start of the, the chat, David, you kind of referenced the customer. Give me a sense of how you see the linkages between the great work you're, you're doing around DNI and then how that feeds into the customer for Woody's. Yeah, so you have to look at it holistically. Um, I, I guess the danger as a HR team is that you can sometimes feel that you're very inwards looking. So you're looking at the people that you're recruiting into the business and what their experience is when they're in the business. Um, one of our, you know, one of the things that I really like about Woody's is the focus that we put on customer, whether that's internal or external. And the, I guess, the slant that we put on it, that whatever your role is within the business, ultimately you're in a customer serving role. Um, and that could be that you're one or two steps removed from the frontline customer, but the things you do still have an impact. Um, from a DNI perspective, we've been very conscious on one of the reasons, one of the business cases for DNI at Woody's has been we need to represent the customer base. So, we need to implement a diversity strategy that makes sure that our workforce reflects the diversity of our customer base, creates a more relatable and a welcoming environment for our customers, and then that impacts loyalty and satisfaction. Um, but also, it has a couple of other areas that relate to, to the customer. So you look at the types of products and the services that we provide. So if you don't understand the needs of the customer base, by having a team in place that can can resonate with them, and um, then you're missing the trick. So by having employees with varied backgrounds and experiences, we can better tailor our products, the services, our marketing strategies to cater to a wider range of customer preferences. And then equally, in terms of in-store customer experience, so customers are more likely to feel valued, to feel understood when they see a diverse group of employees that, that reflect them in in, in in our workforce. And um, so all the indications are that leads to a stronger customer loyalty, positive word of mouth, and benefits as in the long run. Um, and then equally, you have diversity of thought. So retail is known for being a rapidly changing business. And um, particularly our business, we're influenced by seasonal trends, we're influenced by market shifts, by external shocks to the economy. And um, consumer behaviors change and our business is no different. 
Um, so our diversity strategy needs to be flexible and adaptable. And the best way to be flexible and adaptable and innovative is to have diversity of thought within the workforce. David, I'm, I'm conscious that, that many of the listeners you, you sometimes use the podcast as a, you know, a topic that they, they want to begin or they want to start. So, so there'll be listeners that will be looking, hearing you today, right? And they'll be thinking, okay, Woody's are, are a good bit down the road on their journey in terms of DNI. More to be done, but a good bit down the road. Um, any advice, David, just for those listeners that are saying, all right, we're going to look at DNI, we're really going to take it seriously. Um, give us a sense as to how they could start and the sorts of things they need to be thinking about. Um, I suppose from, from my own experience, um, one of the things that when I engage with people outside of our business, one of the, one of the perceptions is that we have a massively resourced HR function. And that um, it's easy for us to do these types of initiatives or, or to put these types of strategies in place because of the scale of our business. Um, for context, we have eight people that serve our entire workforce of 1,500 colleagues from recruiting through to retirement. So we're not a HR team of 50 or 100 people. Um, so it is possible to achieve the stuff we've done on DNI and on engagement. Um, with a relatively small HR function. Now, that that function works because we have the support of the business. So we tend to draw in experts from other areas of the business. We try to draw in resource from time to time where we need a bit of help with landing paper initiatives. Um, but the one thing we do consistently is we look at how do we make this as simple as possible. So we don't over-engineer our approach. We look at what's important, whether it's to the customer base or to the colleague base. And we understand that, first of all, and then we understand what's the most simple and the most effective way to implement it. And then one thing that we always do is we look at how to do it authentically. So if you look at things like pride, and you, you're very, you won't see what he's doing much externally around pride. And that's very conscious because we've said, actually, our colleagues have led us in, in the direction on this and the direction of travel they've taken is it needs to feel internal, it needs to feel authentic and it needs to feel meaningful. So actually when we celebrate Pride, we do a big campaign internally and we do re-education around policies and procedures, we may launch new benefits, we encourage people to share their personal stories within the business. But when you see us talking about pride on LinkedIn, we do one post and we don't even mention gay pride. We actually say we're proud of the fact that we're a diverse business and that we're an inclusive business. And then we, in that simplicity, we point it back to data as well. So we keep it very factual. We point back to our great place to work data set and how our, how our colleagues score us on the DNI question. So I guess for me to answer that question, it doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be grandiose. Uh, keep it simple and uh, make it effective and make sure that it's meaningful and it's authentic. It's easy to update and um, take employee as an example to update the brand's colors on LinkedIn and do nothing else and you know, do it as a token gesture. That doesn't resonate with our colleagues and they would see through it very quickly if we tried to do that. So, And we can certainly vouch from a great place to work point of view, Dave. <clears throat> Woody's has a very good listening ear 
So the various things that you work on, the listening ear is strong, right? And that allows you to pivot and change and adapt and improve. Um, and, and all of that, we can see that. David, thank you for, for giving us an inside look into, into Woody's and the, and this really important area of DNI. David, thank you for your partnership and, and we pre- appreciate you joining us today. Thanks, Liam. Thanks for the opportunity. RedCube listeners, thank you very much for joining us today. Please subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already done so. And of course, leave us a review and tell us what topics would you like us to cover.